Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan, and we're talking with Christian Despina, the founder and CEO of the Dr. Joseph Warren Foundation, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to helping preserve Dr. Warren's legacy through education and research. Please go to his website, www.djwf.org. Christian has also written an incredible book about uh, Joseph Warren. It's called Founding Martyr, The Life and Death of Dr. Joseph Warren, the American Revolution's Lost Hero. And we're discussing what life was like back in revolutionary times in Boston. Uh, It was a hotbed of revolution and coexisting with a, I wouldn't call it a hotbed, but coexisting with a huge number of loyalists who made tons of money by being uh, friends of the British. So what was life like back then? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you alluded to it a little earlier about how how difficult things would have been at Harvard for someone at the bottom of the social barrel. Um, obviously, at this point, medicine is is rudimentary. I mean, life was not easy. We talk about these brutal winters. I mean, we talk about the smallpox epidemics that kept um, visiting Boston, and and I think really that's what catapults Warren to prominence in. Boston society, you know, there's this horrific smallpox outbreak in 1764 and Warren treats over 100 patients for it and not one of them die under his watch. And so immediately he's catapulted to hero status along with these other doctors who are delivering the smallpox um, inoculations. And really he he comes and, and basically saves Boston from the doom of this epidemic. And it's so funny because when you really look at 1764, 1765, in a lot of ways, it really mirrors 2019 and 2020. You know, we have these political protests. We, we're, they're dealing with smallpox. So they really, you know, and you said it in your, your opening there that, you know, really, we, we need to understand history. I mean, the, the, the Colonial Williamsburg mantra for years was that the future may learn from the past. And I just think it's very important that we understand those times. And I mean, I think I was saying earlier that 
people will say, if Warren is so important as you say he is, why is he not mentioned with these other hallowed names like Jefferson, Washington, Henry, Franklin? And I think there's a very simple explanation for it. You know, number one, Dr. Warren dies days after his 34th birthday. So he does not leave behind this extensive paper trail. When he dies, he doesn't die as an American citizen. He dies as a traitorous subject of King George III. And he dies in the battle, you know, years removed from this, you know, American triumphalist phase where men like Samuel Adams, John Hancock, George Washington, these men go on to become big leaders in the new government. But when Warren dies, it's a year before the Declaration of Independence is signed. So when you really think about it, that that founding father um, yeah, designation to someone really is kind of reserved for someone who either signed the declaration or had a part in the Constitution. Warren doesn't really have a hand in either. Warren is the founding grandfather. I mean, he is on the scene for 10 years before the Declaration of Independence is declared. It's him and Samuel Adams pushing this rebellion to the brink, fighting against these oppressive British policies. And, you know, you mentioned your three heroes of the revolution. I'm going to be bold here and say, Warren had it all, right? He's doing it all, voice, pen, and sword, right? He's writing these polemical arguments. He's delivering these fiery Boston massacrations, and he's going to the battlefield. You know, think about it. Where are the founding fathers in the spring of 75, right? They're taking off and going to the First Continental Congress in Philadelphia. That leaves Warren in charge. And I mean, it's it's just so amazing. He's involved. You know, they've referred to this period as the 60 days, right? The period between Lexington and Concord and Bunker Hill. And Warren is involved in every single battle and skirmish from the battles of Lexington and Concord to the skirmishes at Noddles Island, Grape Island to Bunker Hill. And really, an argument can be made that if it wasn't for Warren, the Patriot movement in Boston might have faltered and possibly ended in failure. Now, I don't like to delve into speculative history, but Warren was an, such an important catalyst in this Whig movement. I mean, he we really can think of him as Samuel Adams' right-hand man and the on-the-ground leader of the revolution when things really come to a boiling point. Do you have eye problems? Ophthalmologist Dr. Dan Eichenbaum, a graduate of Yale Medical School and the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute, has the training and experience to give your precious eyes the expert care they need. Whether it's cataract surgery, macular degeneration, diabetic eye disease, or glaucoma, call Dr. Dan Eichenbaum, 828-837-5404 in Murphy or 706-745-9777 in Blairsville. Medicare and insurance accepted. Quality eye care, regardless of your ability to pay. This is Dr. Dan, and we're talking with Christian Despina, the founder and CEO of the Dr. Joseph Warren Foundation, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to helping preserve Dr. Warren's legacy through education and research. Please go to his website, www.djwf.org. You know, I want to go back just for, to one point, and, and f- as a physician myself, I mean, I'm always mindful of how primitive medicine was in that era. And one of the things I learned from your book that I had no idea of was that Dr. Joseph Warren was inoculating people for against smallpox. And this is back in the 1770s, the 1770s, and you look, medicine in that era was like uh, 
I don't know what you'd call it compared to certainly. Actually, medicine has not become what we know as medical care now, except maybe the last 50 years. Before that, it was about as primitive as you can get, not not very far away from uh, from. Uh, shamans and, and the like doing dances and herbs and stuff like that. And here, actually, something I didn't know is they were inoculating people against smallpox. Do you know, how was that being done? So uh, there, there was a really bad smallpox epidemic in Boston. I believe it was in 1721. And, and of all people, Cotton Mather decides that He's going to try and promote inoculations because there's a doctor, Dr. Zabdiel Boylston, who's who's advocating smallpox inoculations. And he actually um, is told by one of his slaves about a process they were doing back in Africa. And there's also been other evidence that this was happening in China. And so this was so controversial in the 1720s that. Dr. Zabdiel Boylston is is threatened with his life. Someone actually throws a firebomb through his window and thankfully it didn't detonate because they just felt that at this point, you know, smallpox was God's divine intervention. And so Warren's family early on, they were getting inoculated. This was not a popular uh, stance at this time. There, there were some smallpox riots. And but again, uh, again, this is what brings Dr. Warren to the forefront. And, and, and one of the amazing things is when you look at his medical ledgers, he's doing such a wide variety of treatments. He's resetting people's shoulders. Um, he's doing these inoculations. He performs an amputation. I mean, and, and one of the amazing things about his medical practice is that he's treating everyone from the bottom of the social ladder, including slaves, all the way up to the highest positions of the royal government. So that that's an, another fascinating part of his life that not only does he have a foot on each side of the political divide, but he's treating every sector of the population, which really is putting him in touch with everyone. And if you think about it at the time, Boston population is around 15,000 people. I mean, everyone knows everyone, but especially everybody knows who Dr. Warren is after 1764 with his smallpox inoculations and his success rate in it. And just as an interesting aside, this is where he first meets John Adams. He's inoculating John Adams' brother, and John Adams gives us the earliest description of Warren that we have. And he describes him as a fair-faced, genteel young gentleman. Well, that's really incredible. So we've talked about uh, his role, and I think we, we, we should continue because he had, he had an incredible role in actually uh, the revolution. And as you said, it probably it may not. It, uh, you're right. It's, it's wrong to speculate. But how do we know that it would have continued uh, to foment that revolution without him speaking? And it, what, what did he he gave some incredible speeches at the Boston Massacre, did he not? Yeah, he delivers uh, the oration of 1772 and that 258th anniversary is around the corner. And he delivers the, the fiery of the two in 1775. And, and his 1775 oration is so vitriolic that he volunteers to do this when word on the street and throughout town is whoever decides to give this oration in 1775 is going to be assassinated by British soldiers. And Warren volunteers to do this. So, that I mean, it just gives you a little insight into his world that this is a man who maybe 
foolishly acted so fearlessly, but it's it's just incredible some of the things he did. And on the day that he delivers this Boston massacreation in 75, he treats five patients. You know, it's just it's just it seems like he his nerves never seem to get unsettled. He's almost killed at the Battle of Bunker Hill when a British musket ball knocks out his hairpin. And you just start to think it's just incredible what he's doing. And and he's aware of the danger. I mean, in the spring of 75, he actually sends his fiance and his four children out to Worcester, Massachusetts, under the care and protection of his friend, Dr. Elijah Dix, because things are becoming so heated in Boston that he's worried that he could possibly be arrested for treason, possibly assassinated. He doesn't know if there's going to be angry British soldiers that might try and take something out on his family. So, I mean, this is someone who's aware of the danger and is still stepping into the spotlight. It it really is incredible when you think about it. I would say probably his being able to treat people and save their lives is probably what saved his. And the British were that he would save their lives, too. As a doctor, I'm sure if they came to him and they needed inoculation, he didn't say, you're British, I'm not going to do it. You know, I think this is part of the push and pull about Warren, because, you know, if you look at every image that portrays Warren after his death, 99 percent of them have him as the fighting general. You see the epaulettes on his shoulders. He's carrying a sword or he's holding a musket. And really, sort of the ironic part is that Warren spends his entire adult life treating and saving lives. But yet we remember him as this fighting general that was killing British soldiers at Lexington and Concord and Bunker Hill. And, you know, and I think that's an important point to make, too, that, you know, Warren spends his entire adult life, you know, dedicated to medicine, trying to treat the people of Boston. And he's treating everyone. He's treating Native Americans. He's treating African-American slaves. He's treating royal governors. He's treating farmers. I mean, you name it, he's treating them. And, The incredible thing is that he goes to Bunker Hill, this battle on June 17, 1775. And I, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight. You know, nobody knew what was going to happen that day. And he was advised not to go to the battle because he was so important to the rebellion. But he goes anyway because he was just not content to sit behind a desk. He was always at the forefront of action. I mean, you name any event that transpires in the environment of Boston in those 10 years, and Warren is involved, whether it's the Stamp riots, the Townsend duties, the Boston massacre, the Tea Party, Lexington and Concord. I mean, his fingerprints are all over these events. And it's just it's almost mind boggling to me how we don't remember him today, because really, he was a huge part of that rebellion in that decade leading up to independence. So he was so busy as a physician and giving speeches, um, fomenting revolution the way the way he should have and the way he wanted to. But what about his family life? What did he have? What kind of a family life did he have? Yeah. So, you know, as I had mentioned, his his father uh, dies when he's 14 years old and he gravitates to his maternal grandfather, uh, which is Dr. Samuel Stevens. And that's his mother's father. And, you know, I think this developed into a very strong relationship. Warren's grandfather dies in the in the I believe it's 1767, but they become very close. And that's why. When you realize what humble beginnings he comes from and how he sort of 
picks himself up to become one of the top leaders in, in the Bay Colony. And he and he starts corresponding with people like Benjamin Franklin and John Wilkes in London. I mean, Warren really is in so many places doing so many things that it's it really like I said, it is almost inexplicable how he becomes so powerful towards the end. And, and, and again, really without him, I, I really question as to whether the revolutionary movement in Boston would have been a success without him. So he had a wife and he had children. Right. And so he marries in 1764, a few months after the end of the smallpox outbreak. I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of historians have pointed to the fact that Warren married his wife based on financial gain, where I think nothing can be further from the truth. I actually located a um, mourning ring that Warren had purchased when his wife passed away. I found a locket of hair that Warren's wife had made into a ring that his niece was wearing during the 100th anniversary of the Bunker Hill battle. So when you start finding all these clues, you realize this is not a marriage out of convenience or financial gain. Warren's making his own money. His wife dies in 1773. And to me, that's even more incredible that Warren is still finding time to do all these activities and to be part of this movement while he's trying to father four young children who lost their mother in 1773. And I think I think what makes the story partly compelling is there's a tragic element to it. And and I think you have to give Warren even more credit by volunteering to go into these battles, knowing that if he's killed, his four children will be left as orphans. But yet he puts the needs of his fellow citizens and his desire to see freedom and liberty happen above his own family. And, and, and to me, I, I guess you could take both sides and say, well, was that foolish or, well, maybe, but it was very selfless. And I think he really sets a standard and he pays the ultimate price on the battlefield, knowing full well that him going to this battle could mean that he lost his life. And he did in the last seconds of the battle. So he did have four children. And what happened with them after his death? It's tragic. And, you know, when I became so close with Dr. Warren's fifth great grandson, you mentioned these oral histories. Him and I had so many conversations about truly how tragic it is because both Warren's sons die without having been married. They don't have children. They die in their early 20s. And it's really heartbreaking because his family is left destitute. You know, when the when the campaign moves south after things shift to New York, Warren's family farm is left devastated. They put the family farm in Roxbury at full disposal of the Continental Army. All the apple trees were cut down for firewood. The Warren's mother was helping take care of, of injured Continental soldiers. And so they're left penniless. I mean, Warren... You know, we knew so little about Warren, Dr. Dan. We didn't even know where he was living. It turns out he was having a mansion estate built in West Boston. And when he dies, that mansion estate is taken back by by James Bodwin, who was who was a friend of Warren's. And they lose the house. I mean, they lose everything. And there becomes a really bitter um contest for who's going to care for the four children. Will it be Warren's fiance? Will it be his mother? Will it be his brothers? And and eventually things settle down. But you see that they're really going through a tough time having lost both parents. But the phenomenal thing is they have no money. But guess who goes to bat for Warren's four orphan children and lays out 
in today's money, it's almost 3,000 pounds he lays out of his pocket, none other than Benedict Arnold. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. They call them muddy waters. And people, I just love to hear that old man sing. Yeah, when I play the hoochie coochie man. Get joy in everything. 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 Everything gonna be all right this morning. Do you have eye problems? Ophthalmologist Dr. Dan Eichenbaum, a graduate of Yale Medical School and the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute, has the training and experience to give your precious eyes the expert care they need. Whether it's cataract surgery, macular degeneration, diabetic eye disease, or glaucoma, call Dr. Dan Eichenbaum, 828-837-5404 in Murphy or 706-745-9777 in Blairsville. Medicare and insurance accepted. Quality eye care, regardless of your ability to pay.